Welcome everybody to Detective Ridiculous. My name is Bricky, my co-host here is DK, and he is about to start telling me all the wacky and wonderful things of real life. Real life, true Real crime. life. Crazy happenings that we have basically no explanation for. Huh? Exactly. But if you'd like to support us on Patreon or check out other wonderful benefits that come from there, go to patreon.com slash adeptusridiculous. Tons of benefits there, access to our Discord, posters, bloopers if they happen, and all that that wonderful good mojo. Uh, and also, your support is what is allowing us to not only help create the art assets for things like these episodes, but do them in the first place. So... Thank you very, very much. Do you want to do merch and stuff, DK? Or, or is the, are the roles fully reversed? Or I mean, I all I know is you can go to Orchid8.com and get some really clean Adeptus Ridiculous merch. So We should do like a noir-style like Detective Ridiculous shirt as well. That'd be fun. Oh, yeah, we should do that. That'd be really cool. All right, I ideas. Am- I am just shocked that this is even happening. What started as an April Fool's Day joke has manifested itself into a fully-fledged once-a-month thing. I'm not commenting on the manifest part. The <laughs> I, I agree. I'm, I was shocked at how many people liked it. And once a month, I think, is a perfect amount of time. And mm-hmm. it's not getting in the way of anything else. So, uh, yep. yeah. Yeah, I... At the end of that episode, I was like, oh, Bricky's just being nice. You know, he's not actually having an existential crisis. He's just being nice. And then all those comments came, and I was like, holy shit. People did like it. What the fuck? See, that's why so, I'm not shy. Because shy was definitely not going to be nice. Shy, oh, yeah. shy was like, ooh, how can I milk these two fucking kids for some more <laughs> goddamn cash? Yeah, when after an episode, Shy's like, wow, good job. I was like, oh, my God. That that sounded almost like a compliment. Almost. We're we're on to some heavy shit. She's she's doing the emperor thing where she's like slowly pushing you like a sociopath. Or she's like, yeah, good job. Keep doing it. Keep doing it. Increase cow. finances. <laughs> yeah. Slowly cracks the whip. Yep. And slowly brings out the whip. Yep, yep, and and cracks it. Anyway, yeah, but you, she was already cracking it for me. Now it's your turn. Oh shit. So now, oh boy, that sucks. So you ready? You ready for today's? Uh, you ready for today's I topic? I am extremely hyped. Please All do right. share. Uh, I don't know if this falls into true crime. I guess it kind of does. But today we are dealing with the Sodder children disappearance. Uh, it's a mystery that has remained unsolved for I think nearly seventy years. It's been speculated, it's been picked apart at, but there hasn't ever really been any conclusive evidence or theory to put this mystery to bed. Now, Can you repeat the name of the the what children? The Sodder children. Uh, S-O-D-D-E-R. So so it's a name. Gotcha. The Sodder family children disappearance. But everybody just calls it the Sodder children disappearance. Um, So, clearly... We're dealing with some kids that are poof, disappearing. Duh. I do but, hate kids. Wow. Rude. By the end of this, you're going to feel real bad about that. Anyway, so kids are disappearing, but uh, let's get some context around the story and actually learn a little bit about this Sodder family and, and their children. So we are time warping all the way back to 1908. 
long time ago, uh, George Sauter immigrated to the United States from his, from his hometown of Tula, Sardinia in Italy when he was only 13 years old. Initially, he made the trip from Italy to Ellis Island with his brother, but as soon as they arrived, his brother was like, psych, and decided to immediately return to Italy. Didn't what? get off the... He, he goes right back. He gets to Ellis Island. He's like, nope, don't like America. I'm going back. And he leaves little 13-year-old George to fend for himself in America. Oh, so this uh, is... Wait, wait, so let me get this straight. He didn't even step off the boat. He just left. He stayed, like... Pretty much. Pretty much. He was like, no. Don't like what? it. Don't like oh, it. So, so this is like, this is like our stereotypical, um, like, like old school Italian immigration way, way back in the day. Yeah. So, th- so this 13 year old kid. So this 13 year old kid's going to be like considered street trash. Um, Probably. I mean, you know, he would never really talk about why he decided to immigrate to America. Didn't really talk about his childhood or what drove him to leaving Italy. Uh, Maybe it was the dream of a better life. Maybe he had family problems or maybe it had something to do with the Italian mafia. Who knows? All we know for sure is that little 13-year-old Georgie is now on his own in America. And surprisingly... George does all right for himself, actually. He's got a lot of drive, a lot of ambitions, pretty smart. Uh, and he finds work on railroads hauling supplies and water for railroad workers. Uh, after a few years, he saves up enough money to move to Smithers, West Virginia, where he no. would start working as a truck driver. Smithers, West Virginia. Well, Smithers! 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 <laughs> who, who is that fat oaf in my office? <laughs> Wow, that's George. No, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> um, wait, wait, wow. So this is so he went full like old school American dream. He yeah, got a he job went. immediately, saved up money. Yep. Uh, yeah, pretty much. As a kid, he's 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 hauling supplies for railroad workers, and he's he's making some money. And after uh, a few years, George. Oh, so he saves up enough money. He moves to Smithers, West Virginia, and he starts working as a truck driver, and. It's at this point that I guess George realizes that truck driving is like his calling. He's been truck driving for a little while and decides to sort of like stake his claim. So he actually starts his own truck hauling company for dirt and coal. And his trucking business does pretty well. It's not like it's not the end all be all of trucking, but George is doing well. He's doing well for himself, and he is successful. He has he has succeeded in the American dream, and is now making a clean living as a truck driver for his own trucking company. What was his last name again? Uh, Sodder. Oh no, George Sodder. Oh no. <laughs> what? It's a it's a I, fine last name. The the no the cloud is looming. Nah. It's called the Solder Children, and he's having a good time. He's not going to have a good time for much longer. Well, you know, that's, it, uh, well, let's 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 talk about it. We'll, 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 uh, we'll, all right, we'll talk we'll, some more. We'll get there, I guess. Yeah, he's still he's still having a great time. So while driving his trucking route, he would routinely stop by a local shop in Smithers called the Music Box, and there he would eventually meet the store owner's owner's daughter and his future blushing bride to be. Jenny Sip 
Brianni. It's a great Italian name. Oh, goddamn. Uh, yeah, she was also an Italian immigrant who had come to America when she was just a toddler. And the two would get married in 1923, and they would have an absolutely staggering 10 children oh over my the God. next 20 years. 10 children they would have. They would also move their gargantuan family to Fayetteville, West Virginia. Not sure why I had to say it like that. Whatever. Uh, which, as it turns out, has a pretty healthy and active Italian community. So look at these guys. He's successful. He's got a wife, 10 kids. He's got a successful trucking company. It's it's great. It's, it's great for George. Imagine, imagine being able to, to afford to feed 10 kids and two adults off of just a <sighs> trucking business. Yeah, he, he does. He does well. I actually don't know what Jenny does or if she's just like a housewife. I don't think they ever say. I don't think it actually matters. God but damn it. Back in my day, I had five dollars in my pocket. I bought a house, a wife and had three dollars left over. <laughs> also, another thing we got to talk about with our boy, George he was really opinionated. He was known for having really strong opinions on just about everything. But one of these opinions, one of these strong opinions, and keep this opinion uh, in the back of your brain for potential foreshadowing, was his very vocal disliking of Italian dictator Mussolini. Because at this point, we're in the 1940s now. They, they, you know, 20 years, they had 10 children. We're in the 1940s, so we're World War II time. Strong Italian community mm. in Fayetteville. That's not going to be the most popular opinion in certain circles of town, bad-mouthing Mussolini and saying you hate him. Mm, even though he was in America and all that, yeah. Even though he was in America, Fayetteville had a really strong, proud Italian community, so he got into some arguments about his disliking and his disdain for Mussolini. Ah, shit. Yeah. So... With those family tidbits aside, and we'll circle back to this stuff a little bit later, we're going to fast forward a little to Christmas Eve 1945. The Sauter family have nine of their ten children at home. The one missing is named Joe, and this isn't the disappearance or anything. He's not gone missing. He's just off serving in the military because, you know. Okay, you got, you, I was like, damn, we're hopping forwards. Yeah, it's, just, it's World War II, he's off serving his country, what a good kid. Though, wait, December, Christmas 1945, isn't the war mm -hmm. over? Uh, I think it is just about to be over, but he's still serving. Because uh, it's not, like, officially over, but it's just about to be, but he's, he's still serving. Okay. Um... So their oldest daughter, Marion, who is 17 years old, has decided to surprise her three youngest sisters, Martha, 12 years old, Jenny, 8, and Betty, 5, with an early Christmas present. Uh, I couldn't find exactly uh, what she bought them, but it doesn't matter. What is important is that the sisters were so happy, so overjoyed, that they begged their mother to stay up past their bedtime and play with their new toys. And how could any... Oh, go ahead. Ball, ball in a cup? I'm not actually sure. I mean, Marion worked at a dime store, so I, oh, I'm not exactly... Oh, my God. <laughs> a bag of dimes. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, no, I'm, I'm assuming it's one of those, like, general stores where, like... Uh, you know how today we have dollar stores? I'm assuming back then they were dime stores oh. where you could just get 
uh, a plethora of goods, and it only costs you a dime. Um, so I, I'm assuming it's had, like ball in a cub, maybe like a, a teddy bear or something like that. You know, I, I, so, I, I can't imagine the time frame. I mean, you have a cat. You know what happens when you try to buy a toy for the cat? They sit in the box. <laughs> yes, yes, they do. But I mean, at this point, whatever it was that Marion bought, they were all hype. They were so ecstatic, and they wanted to stay up. And, you know, how could their mother, Jenny, possibly say no to that? You've got this wonderfully thoughtful gesture from your oldest girl. The kids are so excited. It's Christmas Eve. Of course you kiddos can stay up past your bedtime. With a few conditions. Uh, the two older of the boys that are still awake, Maurice, who is 14, and Louis, who is 9, had to be awake they had to make sure that they fed the chickens and put the cows away in the barn, uh, lock the doors, turn off the lights, and just, you know, the normal shit you do before going to bed. Wait, you feed, what time do you feed the chickens? Uh, like I, like I, I, 9 p.m.? I don't know, but apparently they needed to feed the chickens and put the cows away before they went to bed. Maybe they just needed a late night snack. It's Christmas, Bricky. They wanted to give the chickens Christmas dinner. You know, you know what? Okay, that 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 I don't <laughs> fully believe you, but all right. <laughs> Shy says breeder hens consume their feed two to six hours each day. None of us know anything about breeding. Oh boy, that hits too hard. We're you know what? We're moving on. We are let's, moving let's move right on. along. Continue. How Continue. The, the boys must stay up and do the things. Yes. So at this point, George and his wife Jenny are sleeping in their room, where they also have a crib that has their youngest daughter, Sylvia, who is two years old. The two oldest boys, John, 23, and George Jr., 16, were already fast asleep from helping their father with work all day long. So, let's just, let's do a quick overview as to where everybody is in the house right now. Uh, downstairs, you've got the, the three younger sisters with Maurice, Louie, and Marion, and all of their early Christmas presents. Upstairs, there's George, Jenny, and Sylvia sleeping in their room, and you have, uh, oh, John and George Jr. in their upstairs room as well. So, lots of kids, two adults, everybody is having a wonderful Christmas Eve. So, uh, George's wife Jenny is awoken at around 12.30 a.m. by the telephone ringing. And you gotta remember, this is the 40s. Telephones are not as widely popular as they are now. There isn't a phone in every single room, which also, we'll get into weird telephone shit later. But, she has to go all the way downstairs to the one house phone to answer the phone. And when she does answer the phone, there's, a, there's an unfamiliar woman's voice on the other end of the line asking for a name that she doesn't know. It also sounds like there's a party going on in the background with glasses clanging. And Jenny also remembered that the woman has a really, really strange laugh. But she doesn't know the name, so she chalks it up to a wrong number and hangs up. But while Jenny is downstairs, she takes note of a few things. For starters, she only sees Marion asleep on the sofa downstairs. Where are the is other that, kids? Hmm? Is Marion the one that worked at the dime store? Yes, she is okay. the... Yeah, she's the 17-year-old, worked at the dime store, gave everybody the presents. Is she the, is she the oldest, besides the one in, in the military? Uh, I think she is the oldest of the girls, yes. 
Okay. Uh, I think John is the oldest child they have at 23. And then there's the um, 14 and 9-year-old ones. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's so it's four, or it's three boys, six girls? Yes. Hmm. I will say yes. Okay. Yeah. So, Marion's the only one asleep on the sofa downstairs. Jenny kind of just figures the other kids must have finally gotten tired, went upstairs to bed. She also notices that the lights are still on, the door isn't locked, and the curtains aren't drawn like they usually are. And I have to imagine this wasn't that weird to Jenny. She probably just figured, kids will be kids. They forgot to do their chores. It's Christmas Eve. They were so excited. So Jenny turns off the lights, locks the door, shuts the curtains, goes back to bed. At around 1 a.m., Jenny is woken by a loud thud on the roof, followed by this loud rolling sound, like something hit their roof and then just took, 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 rolled off of it. I guess this didn't alarm her enough to get out of bed, though God knows if I heard something thud into my roof and roll off, I would get my ass up and see what it was. Yeah. But Yeah, but she decides, you know what? Ah, I don't hear any more sounds. It was probably just a harmless prank. No big deal. I'm going back to bed. I'm sorry, roll that back. Did she actually think it was a prank? Yes, she thought it was a prank, bro. What the fuck is she? Is she? It's not. She didn't even think it was fucking Santa Claus at that point. It's Christmas Eve, dumbass. It's Maybe obviously she Santa, Santa Claus. Yeah, Santa landed. Santa landed. Took a took a wrong turn, cracked an ankle, then fell off her fucking roof. And he didn't check yeah. to go see if Santa Claus ain't broke his neck on the way down. What a <laughs> what a what a fucking bitch. Santa Claus is dead in her goddamn lawn, and she's like, "Oh, happy sleep time. My kids are all gone." Well, in all fairness, if it was Santa and he had, like, broken a limb, she would have heard, like, thud. Ah! My leg! Or something, you no, know. No, no, no. Santa, Santa's too much of a professional. Oh, you're... That's fair. That's fair. What the fuck could have hit the roof? What the fuck? I don't know, man. But she she just thought... She thought it was a prank. She thought it was some kids that maybe threw a ball or something. She, but she didn't check. She didn't check. <sighs> oh, my God. All right. Continue. So one hour later, Jenny is awoken again by the overwhelming smell of smoke. She jumps out of the bed, checks the adjoined room that George used as an office, and it was covered in flames. She quickly wakes up George, and if you're wondering why George hasn't woken up through all of this, you gotta remember that Jenny had already been woken up twice. Once from the phone call, and again from the <coughs> mysterious object hitting Santa. the roof. Yes, yeah, Santa. She was probably still somewhat awake, a little drowsy, about to doze off, whereas George, he is dead-ass asleep after a long day of labor. So, in the ensuing chaos and panic of waking up to your house on fire, George... Sylvia and Marion make it outside to safety. So that's George, the toddler, and the oldest girl. Jenny had been downstairs screaming at everyone upstairs to get out. The two oldest boys, John and George Jr., they eventually do come down, stumbling down the stairs, and their hair is already singed from the fire. They all tried yelling and screaming for the rest of the children upstairs, but to no avail. Maurice, Martha, Louie, Jenny, and Betty are nowhere to be seen. George assumes that they were just 
too frightened to move, and they're all huddled together hiding in the upstairs bedroom somewhere. Now, the efforts to try and get back into this house and rescue the five children is where things start to get a little weird. Wait, so is the master bedroom and the like on the bottom floor? Master bedroom is on the top floor. But so she George, ran, they ran yeah, downstairs they, and then screamed, mm -hmm. uh, oh, because the, 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 the toddler. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, they had to okay. get the toddler out because they, I, I'm assuming first thing to do, grab the toddler, get her out of there. Yeah. And they start yelling upstairs for all the other kids. And only uh, John and George Jr. come back down the stairs. Uh, and, and, but, and they, but some they've of already the, been singed. But some of the other ones that they thought uh, that they wanted to come down, they thought were upstairs, but they were actually the ones missing from downstairs that we don't know where they went. Yeah, we have no idea where they are. They think they're upstairs. Um, John and George Jr. had some conflicting reports after the fact because at first they said, oh, yeah, no, we saw the kids in the room and we tried to shake them and tell them, you know, get out there. Uh, but later on, they changed it, and they said they had actually never seen the kids, and they had only yelled through the door to try and get them to come down. So they kind of have conflicting reports. Some people say that maybe just through the shock of everything, they remembered what they thought they should have done rather than what they actually did. Um, so mm. anyway... Um, the efforts to actually try and get back into the house to rescue these five children is, is where things do get a little weird. So George tries to reenter the house by breaking through a window with his arm, and he actually ends up cutting his arm pretty badly. But Yeah. <laughs> but you could, you could pick up a fucking rock? Uh... I, I guess there were none handy, and again, you gotta remember, this is this is like ultra panic mode. Yeah, right? alright, alright, that's fair, that's fair, yeah. He's, he's, he's really like, oh my god, my, kids are, in the, my yeah. kids are in the burning fucking house, holy yeah, shit, elbow. Yeah, I, I gotta get in, and boom, he just, yeah. So, through that, he can see the bottom floor, and the staircase are pretty much covered in fire and flames at this point. There is, even if they got back in, there's no way to get up those stairs to the children, and there's no way for those kids to come back down the stairs and escape through all of this fire. George then remembers that there is always, there is always a ladder near the house. He knows exactly where it is. It is always there, and he can use that to get upstairs to the window and help the children out. But today, the ladder is mysteriously gone. They can't find it. Nowhere to be seen. George gets another idea. He's going to take one of his hauling trucks. He's going to back it up against the house, climb on top of it, and get the kids out on the truck. But despite the truck working all day the previous day, tonight, it refuses to start. There's also a water barrel nearby that they could have used to maybe help extinguish the fire, but it's dead-ass winter in West Virginia. That water barrel is frozen solid. So mm. Mm. I imagine I imagine at this point people are thinking, call the fire department. Why is no one called the fire department? Well, there's well, another it's 19, problem. Well, it's 1940 something. Wouldn't they only have the one phone? There's no cell phones. They'd have to go into the burning house to call the fire department, right? And this that's to is say true. That's to say if the fire hasn't fucked up the, the phone line somehow. Ah. You, you're pretty smart, because the other problem is the solder's phone didn't work. 
They kind of just assumed that the line had been burned through because of the fire. But we will talk about that later. So... Marion, 17-year-old, worked at the dime store. She tries running next door and using the neighbor's phone to call the fire department. But again, 1940s, they couldn't connect with an operator. The operator was like away on holiday because it's Christmas. So a passerby, I think it was a neighbor, but some sources said it was just some dude that was driving past. I guess it doesn't really matter. Someone drives past and sees this fire, and they actually go to the local tavern to also attempt calling the fire department. But guess what? Still no operator. Still no one to connect them with the firehouse. So this passerby actually drives into town and physically found the fire chief, F.J. Morris, to tell him what had happened and that he is needed. What and, a bro. Um, yeah, it's it. I mean, what, you know, they cool saw guy. fire. You gotta, gotta help, gotta help, you know? Um, and apparently, uh, a fact I didn't know until I started looking stuff up for this episode, do you know how fire brigades rally in the 1940s? No, I do not. They apparently start a phone tree where one firefighter calls another firefighter who calls another firefighter until all of them have been reached and assembled at the source. Sadly, oh, okay. though, <laughs> sadly, though, it only took 45 minutes for the Sauter family's house to burn to the ground. Oh, and the firefighters didn't arrive until 8 a.m. the next morning to douse the still smoldering ashes of what the was that, family's like house. Six hours? Something like that, yeah. Oy. And uh, the firehouse, it was only 2.5 miles away. It was Oof. only 2.5 miles away. Also, fun fact, uh, the firefighters were further delayed the next morning because F.J. Morris, the fire chief, didn't know how to drive the truck and had to wait for someone who could. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's, just, it's just so bad. It's so bad. So well, what happens when you live in West Virginia? Oh. <laughs> I am not. Uh, hey, listen, West Virginians, we love you here at Detective Ridiculous. I can't speak for those scrubs at Adeptus Ridiculous, but, uh, you know, anyway. Yeah, I'm from Adeptus Ridiculous. Go have sex with your sister. <laughs> oh, <geez>. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's brutal, man. Country so, roads. All right, listen, Fall 76 took place in West Virginia. It's one of the worst games ever made. There has to be a correlation. Oh, no. All right. Just tell oh, me what the fire true, it does. Go, go, okay, go more into so, that. The only conclusion the Sodders could come up with was that their five beautiful children had burned to death in the fire. The Sodders spent all Christmas Day, well, not actually not all Christmas Day, they spent the morning of Christmas Day combing through the burned wreckage of their home looking for any remains of their children. Odd thing is, though, they didn't find any human remains in the wreckage. Uh, Fire Chief F.J. Morris suggested that the fire had been so hot that it simply burned their remains to ash, cremated them right then and there. Uh, the fire was also later attributed to faulty wiring, which <laughs> we will talk about that later as well. Mm. 
So, naturally distraught and just in immeasurable grief in the following days, George decides, I cannot look at the wreckage of this house anymore knowing that my poor children are under there somewhere. So, he decides to cover the site of the fire with five feet of dirt and turn it into a memorial for their lost children. Despite the fire department telling him to just leave the site alone, we're going to come back next week and we're going to conduct a proper investigation. But George is just, he's too distraught. You know, he just lost all these kids and he's just, I can't, I can't stand looking at it. Now, there were an astounding amount of strange occurrences that would lead the Sodders to actually believe that this was no accident, and that their children had not burned to death and were actually still alive and perhaps kidnapped. Okay, so we're going to circle back around to, like, before the fire happened and talk about some of these strange occurrences that in hindsight is probably, like, big red flashing lights that something bad is going to happen. Like a giant fucking thing landing on your roof? <laughs> Definitely talk about also, that. there's no there's no fucking way the fire was hot enough to burn the remains like that. There's not not no fucking way in hell. I mean, you trying to tell me that I'm gonna take the opinion of the goddamn fire chief? I can't drive a truck. <laughs> a lot of people online say that that you cannot trust FJ Morris because he's a fire chief that doesn't know how to drive the truck. What does he know about how hot it needs to be to cremate human remains? Also, also, if I'm fucking sure, I don't. I don't think a house fire can burn to that heat to literally cremate bone. I don't. I don't like. That's the reason why those cremation things are look like jet engines in like a tiny little thing. You push them in there, it goes wah, and then it's all yep. out. And don't worry, we will. We will be talking about that. Good. So. Uh, the Sauter family had serious doubts about the fire's cause because it was uh, it was declared that it was faulty wiring or some sort of electrical failing. But George had had the wiring of the house checked out because they had recently installed a new electric stove. And they had been told that as far as their wiring was concerned, everything checks out. The Sauters also knew that the lights and the Christmas lights were still on and working when they fleed the house. So if it was a wiring issue or an electrical failing, why were the lights still working when the fire started? There was also a really strange man that had visited the Sodder's house a few months prior to the fire. He'd shown up inquiring about a trucking job from George, but seemed... Oddly preoccupied with the back of their house near the fuse box, this weird man even told George, this is going to cause a fire someday. But, like we already said, George had all the wiring checked out by the power company. He knew it was fine. He knew it wasn't going to start a fire. So he just kind of ignored it and put it out of his mind. Um, there was also a salesman that tried to convince the Sodders to buy life insurance from him. But when George declined, the salesman became very irritable and specifically said, Your goddamn house is going up in smoke and your children are going to be destroyed. You will pay for the dirty remarks you've made towards Mussolini. You literally and said those exact fucking words? That's, that's exactly what he said. What George said? Oh, no, that's what the salesman said. 
No, that, that's, that's what, what the George said, to him. said. The salesman said. Yeah, that's what George said. The salesman said because there's no mm. official recording of it. That's just yeah, right. Okay, and um, I I know that sounds like it should be a massive red flag and cause for concern at the time, but again. George is known for being heavily opinionated and severely outspoken in his disliking of Mussolini. He was always arguing with people in town about it. So getting into like a heated exchange about his dislike for Mussolini like this was probably upsetting, certainly, but nothing that was like supremely out of the ordinary for him. Another fun little tidbit uh that angry salesman that threatened him that day he was actually one of the jurors for the inquest that decided that their house fire had been caused by faulty wiring he was Mm. he was a yeah so little little, he's one might say he's a little sussy so it's it's a little sus yeah little little sus little little sus sus. A a little maybe a little too on the nose, but I, I will, we'll discuss that later. Yeah, later. yeah, 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 maybe. Um, the older Sodder sons, John and George Jr., they also remembered that before Christmas, there was this car parked on Highway 21, which was like the main highway through town, and there was a man in it that was watching the younger Sodder children return home from school that day. Mm. Also... Remember how we mentioned that when the Sodders were fleeing their house, the lights were on and they were all still working? As it turns out, the reason the telephone didn't work that night wasn't because the telephone line had been burned through by the fire like they initially thought. The telephone line was actually purposefully cut. Someone had actually cut the telephone line, mistaking it for the Sodders' power line, which was supremely fortunate for the Sodders because, uh, according to Jenny, she went on record as saying that if the lights weren't on and the power wasn't working, they never would have made it out of the house. And Mm. the guy who cut the telephone line on mistake? Neighbors had also seen him stealing a block and tackle, which is, uh, it's kind of like this pulley system they use to get engines out of cars. Uh, which could have been used to tamper with the solder truck engines and account for the reason the trucks wouldn't start. Though, it should be noted that one of George's son-in-laws once told a newspaper in 2013 that he believed they had accidentally flooded the engines in their panic and haste and just, ah, to save their children, and ultimately, ultimately, that's why the trucks wouldn't start, because they accidentally flooded them. Um, it's also believed, though I don't think it was ever proven, uh, that this man actually also stole the ladder from the Sodder's house. Reason people believe this is because in order to get to the power line or accidentally cut the telephone line, you'd have to climb a 14-foot pole to do it. And not many people are just sort of jimmying up a 14-foot pole with some pliers and cutting whatever. Um, but the ladder itself was found in an in an embankment about 75 feet away. And strangely, there is no record of this suspect. There's no official record of them interviewing him or telling his motive or his reason for cutting the telephone line and stealing the block and tackle. I mean, we can kind of assume what he was doing, 
but there's no official record, and I don't think we even know what his name is. So, one of the most compelling reasons the Sodders thought that their children were still alive was indeed because they found literally no remains of their children. Uh, Jenny specifically found this odd because there were remnants of appliances and their tin roof in the ashes, but literally nothing of their children's remains. Like, her microwave could make it through the, the fire, but some bones or some clothing or whatever couldn't make it through. Um, Jenny even started to run some mock tests of her own by burning animal bones, and she could never get the bones to completely burn away into ash. She even studied another local house fire that killed a family of seven, and guess what? There were skeletal remains of every single one of them. Every, all seven of the people that died in that house fire, they found remains of all of them. Um, Jenny even went so far as to check with an employee at a local crematorium and found that there were skeletal remains found from fires that not only burned hotter than her house, but far, far longer. If the children were killed in that house fire, there is literally no reason there shouldn't have been skeletal remains found. So yep, you're right. That, 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 sound, that sounds very much right. It's, man, it's almost like I took a bunch of fire tech courses in high school because I was trying to do, become a firefighter, and I know you can't fucking burn remains like that. Is that true? You did? I didn't know yeah. that. Yeah, I was an EMT for a year, remember? Because I was going to fire. Yeah, yeah. I remember you were an EMT. I didn't realize you were trying to become a firefighter, though. That's cool. Oh, it was, it, it's normally the first step. Yeah, it's like you got to get... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You, you can't burn that. It doesn't burn that fucking hot. <laughs> Damn, look at you. Wow. Yeah, it's it's not... It, yeah, yeah, shut up. It's, it's <laughs> shut not... Up, it's, shut up. It's, it's not, you can't burn that hot. <laughs> uh, in 1946, there would be some we'll say significant developments that would pretty much cement in the Sodder's mind and really any rational person's mind that this house fire was no electrical wiring mishap, but instead a very, very intentional case of arson. First, there was a bus driver that had been passing through Fayetteville that recalled someone throwing what he described as balls of fire at their house that night. And once, when visiting the memorial site of the house fire, their youngest daughter, Sylvia, was kind of playing around near the memorial, and she accidentally found a small, green, rubber ball-like object while she was playing. When George inspected this and he looked at it, he decided that this small rubber object was actually the remains of a pineapple bomb, and that had been what Jenny heard hit and roll off the roof and started the fire that night with some fucking napalm. See, see uh, that that that's a lot more believable than a lot of the other things I'm I'm thinking about. <laughs> that that one that one was kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I still can't imagine you hear something hit your roof, roll off, and you're just like, I should check. You know, I should, I should I, see what that is. I would think that, but one would also think that maybe you don't be living in an Italian neighborhood and bad mouthing the. The, the leader yeah, of Mussolini. Italy. Yeah, yeah, you know, there, there, yeah. there's many thought processes there. 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, there were also several instances of neighbors or people coming forward once this, the, you know, the news of this house fire got out, claiming to have actually seen the five children from the house. Um, there was a woman who was watching the solder house burn and claimed she actually saw the five children peering from a passing car window. Uh, there was also a waitress at a rest stop that claimed she actually served these children breakfast and mentioned that the car that they got into in the parking lot had Florida license plates on it. So with all of these reports coming in, and naturally the police and the fire department are no help because they've already chalked it up to faulty wiring. So the Sodders decide to hire their own private investigator, a man named C.C. Tinsley. Tinsley found out that the fire chief, F.J. Morris, confessed to a minister that he actually did find some of the children's remains. Specifically, he said he found a human heart in the rubble of the house fire and secretly buried it in a metal box. Wait, the, the uh, just the human heart? That makes even less sense. That's that would be said. something that I imagine would burn quite easily compared to, like, bone. You would think. You would think. But that's what the chief said. Is this the same chief who couldn't drive a truck? Yes, sir. All right. Then he, can go, <laughs> he can go suck a dick. I don't give a shit what he says. It gets better. Well, or maybe worse. Probably worse, actually. As you can imagine, Tinsley and George wanted to have a few words with Morris about this human heart that he found. He confessed that he did find a heart, he showed them where he buried it, but once they dug up this metal box, there was no heart in that box. Do you know what was in the box, Bricky? What was in the box, DK? A goddamn beef liver that had never been exposed to fire. Okay... Morris what? would later, right? So Morris what? would. <laughs> what? I, I will tell you. I will All right, tell, tell me. you. Tell me. Morris would later confess that he was hoping if the Sodders had found anything resembling the remains of their children, they would cease the investigation and they would find closure in knowing that their children had died in the fire. This guy is such a fucking moron. Oh yes, my good god. He 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 put a beef Oh my god. This is like an Edda and Eddie skit. Yep. A beef liver that Holy. had never been exposed to fire. Round of applause for the fire chief, right? Oh my. Round of applause. Wow, the ingenuity, the creativity. So, yeah, the fire chief um, now, as one might imagine, George's life became consumed with finding any detail he could about the whereabouts or the fate of his children. If any kind of lead came in, he would head across the country if he had to, to check it out. Uh, there was an instance where he saw a picture of a kid that just kind of looked like one of his daughters, and he booked it all the way to New York to frantically demand, demand that he be able to see what could be his long-lost daughter. But naturally, the parents and the school she attended, they refused for obvious reasons because he was being fanatical and had no proof whatsoever. And so they just sent him packing and sent him home. 
And tragically, this is sort of just what happened. He would he would find a clue, he would find a lead, and he would go searching for it, and nothing would come up. And in their desperation, uh, the Sodders even decided to once again do a thorough search of the charred remains of their house, which meant digging through and excavating the memorial site that they had made on top of it. However, this time they actually found human remains in the memorial site. Oh my good God. Yep, they found human remains. Specifically, they found several shards of vertebrae. And after sending the vertebrae to the Smithsonian, it was determined that the vertebrae... Vertebrae? Vertebrae? Wow. Vertebrae! Yeah, those some sussy spinal bones, boy. Anyway, uh, <laughs> it was determined that the vertebrae probably belonged to someone aged 16 to 17, and sadly, the oldest of the missing solder children was only 14. And I, the I, how good was forensics at the time? I, it, I mean, they they said there was you know a possibility that maybe it could be from a 14 year old. You know, it's it's possible. Um, but the other problem is the bones showed no signs of having any fire damage. What the fuck? Uh, Plus, uh, the Smithsonian was like, you know, it's really unlikely that you would only find some vertebrae, uh, considering the house fire and that the house went down in 45 minutes and how hot it was. Y'all should have found some fully intact skeletal remains. These are not the remains of your children. So, they were planted by the fire chief. I knew it. <laughs> You're probably wondering how the hell did those bone fragments get there, right? Remember how George Sauter, in his just immeasurable grief, covered the site with five feet of dirt and turned it into a memorial site? Yes. In a cruel twist of fate, their private investigator Tinsley actually found out that the dirt they used to cover the memorial site actually originated in a nearby cemetery on Mount Hope. And that's why it had bone fragments in it. Oh my god, the man's... Oh my god, the man's a grave a grave robber. Oh, yeah, shit. Unfortunately, oh, the, the dirt he used originated from a cemetery. This, I mean, he couldn't have known that, I suppose, but yeah... And so this when they went guy. to excavate, they found bones. This guy, this guy, this guy. You can't catch a break. You can't catch this a break. Guy. It all started off so good for George, too. His mental health is is deteriorating at, at such a degree. Oh, yeah. But he's not giving up. He's, you know, he's he's a driven individual, this George Sauter. So George even tried to get the FBI. I to intervene and conduct a thorough investigation of their own to see if they could help figure out this kidnapping. Believe it or not, George Sauter of West Virginia, Fayetteville, West Virginia, he actually got a response from FBI Director J. Edgar Hoover. But Wait, really? Yeah, he actually, he got a hand, I think it was a handwritten letter from J. Edgar Hoover. Unfortunately for him, Hoover's response was, although I would like to be of service, the matter related appears to be of local character and does not come within the investigative jurisdiction of this bureau. Ah. However, 
J. Edgar Hoover did make sure to let George Sodder know that if the local authorities allowed it, the FBI would investigate and J. Edgar Hoover could actually send agents to help with the investigation. But... But... The local police and fire department declined the offer and the FBI could do nothing. You, you know, I don't think I blame them. I think, how, how many years has it been since the, since the incident? <sighs> how many years has it been? Um, I would have to say, mm, maybe five or ten? Okay, because like that—that's the thing—is—is is while I completely can sympathize with the the difficulty of our of our man George here, uh, like at this point, I imagine he's like the local basket case, who's oh, just yeah. who's just constantly like losing his fucking mind every day trying to freak out. And he's like the local conspiracy theory kind of guy, and, and like that's... I I I get it, but I can imagine all everyone in the town is just like I'm so. Sick. I'm so tired like, of hearing about this. Like, like, yeah. like, like, I don't want to be mean, but get over it. But like, you know, yeah. like it's been ten years, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I hadn't thought about uh, uh, the way that the locals would sort of view him at this point because he is fanatically searching for anything he can find on his missing children. And uh, actually, the FBI later down the road, uh, they would get involved. Um, I think it was maybe shortly after George dug up the memorial site and found the bones. Um, his investigation had started to get a little bit of national attention, I guess because of the bones. Uh, so the FBI figured, hey, this could be an interstate kidnapping. We we might have the jurisdiction for this. Oh, but but they could but they couldn't find any significant leads and drop the case after two years. In West Virginia, there were also two different hearings on the case, but because of lack of any real credible evidence, I think that's what it was, uh, the case was deemed hopeless, and the case was closed on a state level too. So Mm. all avenues are pretty much... So you gotta understand, the Sodders at this point, uh, they've tried everything like you would think at this point okay look it's time to give up something happened to the kids and we just gotta get over it uh they've done everything they could and still nothing but they still don't give up and they still have an idea on what can get a little more widespread attention on their missing children uh so they print out flyers that have the children's photos names and a five thousand dollar reward uh which would later be up to ten thousand dollars as time went on and in 1952 they would put up one of the most iconic billboards in west virginia history uh shy just uh put it in the chat but uh it, it was this simple billboard it had all the same information as the flyers pictures names ages and what they think what the family thinks happened to their children and they built it on top of the memorial site. And uh, this billboard, it would remain standing for 37 years on U.S. Route 19 in Fayetteville, West Virginia. When was it finally taken down? Uh, I will get to that, actually. Okay. So I, 
I I will I will tell you when it comes. Don't don't. Out. Well, okay, okay. I'm sorry for jumping the gun, DK. It's okay. Well, it's not a huge spoiler. It's uh, uh it gets taken down after uh, Jenny Sauter passes away. Ah, okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, all of this did bring a little bit of new attention to the case, and it actually brought in another lead. And this lead, boy, the Sauter family really latched onto it. Uh, it was made by someone named Ida Crutchfield, who ran a hotel in Charleston, West Virginia. Uh, she claimed that the children came into the hotel a week after the fire. She claimed that she didn't remember the exact date, but that the children were accompanied by two women and two men, all being Italian. They all stayed at a hotel in a large room with several beds at around midnight. Uh, when she tried to approach and talk to the children in a friendly manner, hey kids, what's up, how are you doing? The men appeared hostile and refused to allow her to talk to the children. She claimed that one of the men looked at her in a hostile manner, then turned around and began rapidly talking in Italian, and then the whole party stopped talking to her and left the next morning. And while this may seem like just the lead of the century and the Sodders thought it was a big deal, Ida was determined to be a not credible witness because she had, one, never met the Sodders, two, only seen their picture two years after the fire, and three, she waited five years to come forward with the story. So and, and test George Sodder wasn't necessarily being quiet about this either. That's true. Again, you know, and I, I assume that this billboard was getting a lot of attention because you cannot go through Fayette, Fayetteville. Why do I keep saying it like that? Fayetteville without seeing this thing. It was getting a lot of attention. So, you know, she was deemed not credible and nobody really further investigated it. But again, that's just how all of these leads went. George would hear something promising. He would search high and low for it. And damn it, I came up empty Again! So, it wasn't until 1968. 1968. Oh, 23 years later. <laughs> yeah! It wasn't that they got another kind of weird piece of evidence. They got an envelope in the mail that was addressed to Jenny Sauter, and it was postmarked in Central City, Kentucky, with no return address. In the envelope was a picture of a young man in his 30s that bore a very, very striking resemblance uh, to their son, Louis. Uh, he shared basically the same hair, brow, and nose features that young Louis had. The back of the photo also had this really strange message on it that no one has ever been able to make sense of, but it read this. Louis Sauter. I love Brother Frankie. I-L-I-L boys A90132 or 35. What? That's all. Nobody knows what the fuck this means. It all seems like a bunch of gibberish. I, nobody knows if it's code, if this is actually Louis Sauter, or what I love Brother Frankie is. Who knows? Nobody knows. Naturally, the family wanted to know where the hell this thing came from, so they hire another private investigator to sort of scope around Central City, Kentucky, see if he can find anything. 
but the investigator never got back to them, and they could never locate him again. And after this, the Sodders were worried that if they published either the photo or any interest in Central City, Kentucky, it could bring danger to Louis if he was there because they sent the private investigator and he disappears. Is it because they sent him there? Is it because somebody knew? Is it because somebody wanted to silence the investigator? I don't know, but... Mm. So all they could really do was they put the updated photo of Louis on the billboard and hope to gather a new lead. And even more sad news, George died a year later in 1969, still hoping for one last lead in the case or one last glimmer of proof about what happened to his children, whether or not they were alive. He just wanted closure. He just wanted to know for sure uh, if his child, what, what had happened to his children. Uh, and Jenny would pass away in 1989. And it was after her death that the family finally took down the beaten up old billboard for good. So n- that billboard stayed up until 1989. Huh. 89. 89. So she, 1989. So, and he died in 69 or 89? He, he died in 69. She lived she a good while years. after. God yeah. damn. Yeah, and I believe it was reported that she wore black every single day uh, to mourn for her children and her husband. So, now we're basically caught up with sort of the majority of what we know about the disappearance of the Sodder children. Did they perish in the fire? Were they kidnapped? Uh, The surviving family believed that the incident was because of the Italian Mafia and their father's strong dislike of Mussolini, that the Mafia had tried to get him to join their ranks or extort money from him. And when he refused to play ball, this is how they chose to get him. Uh, some believe that they may have even taken the children back to Italy or that if they were to, they were told that if they ever tried to contact the family or anyone they used to know, the Mafia would take them out too. Um, but one of the biggest questions is if the children were kidnapped from that house, how the fuck did they get out of that house? Because Marion is sleeping downstairs on the couch. So if someone is trying to wrangle and force five kids, the oldest one being 14 out of, you're trying to wrangle all these kids. You're telling me there's no way Marion or someone else in the house doesn't wake up. If she woke no. up by a phone and a, and a and Santa Claus falling down, like she'll wake up from that fucking thing. Kids scream. They Kids scream. scream. They screech when things are normal. Yeah. Like, no way in hell. Yep. Uh, though some people have said that maybe it was a person that the kids knew. So it wasn't alarming because it was like, oh, hey, it's Johnny from across the block and he's here to take us to go do some Christmas shenanigans. Uh, so maybe that's why they didn't uh, make any noise. Uh, it's also been theorized that uh, you got to remember uh, what tasks the children were given by their mother before she went to bed. These kids were specifically told to make sure that they put the cows away and fed the chickens outside. Uh, Just the boys, though. The girls were playing with their toys. True. I think all of the children were responsible for putting the cows away and feeding the chickens. I don't think it was Mm. specifically said. Um, But 
That's kind of the theory, is that when they went outside to feed the chickens, put the cows away, that's when the kidnapper struck, and he grabbed them, and he took them all away before the fire even started, which mm. would explain mm. why the door wasn't locked, why the lights were on, why the curtains weren't drawn, because the kids never got to come back to tend to any of that stuff. So for all we know, kids were long gone before the fire even started. It's also speculated that the police and the fire department may have been involved in covering up this whole incident. I mean, we know how competent good old F.J. Morris is, and also, um, they declined to let the FBI investigate. So, was this a cover job? Was this an inside job done by local police and fire departments that maybe had a thing for Mussolini? Who knows? Um, and some people, uh, the Sauter family included, also noted that if the children were in the house during the fire, why hadn't they gone to their bedroom window and just started pounding on it and yelling and screaming that they were there and trying to alert anyone to their presence? As I found out when looking stuff up for this episode, apparently it is rather common that during house fires, young children will not go screaming and pounding and yelling their brains out and being scared, but rather it is really common for them to stay holed up and hide somewhere they think is safe instead of just absolutely losing their fucking mind. So just because they didn't alert anyone doesn't mean they weren't up there. And there's actually another big problem with the mafia kidnapping theory. So, uh, Stacy Horn uh, did a piece for the NPR about the disappearance of the Sodder children, which aided infinitely in this episode. And she spoke to uh, someone named George Martin, former head of the Crime Commission for West Virginia. And he said. Even if the Mafia had a presence in West Virginia at the time, the modus operandi of this particular event doesn't in any way comport with what the Mafia would have done. To me, it's like saying the Martians landed in the fields and took these kids away. So according to this expert, Ah. there is no chance... There is no way that this was a mafia kidnapping hit job. Did we are we are we not going to rule out the possibility that the kids just ran away? Well, I suppose that is entirely possible, but they had no reason to. George and Jim, they had a good family. Everything was good. Did they? Like as far so, as we know, I mean uh, Yeah, on, on on whose record? George's and Jenny's? Well, according to the surviving family, I suppose, uh, you know, Mm. the kid, the other kids, you know, I mean, I guess it's not impossible that maybe the kids decided to run away for whatever reason, but they would never come back. They would never tell anyone. They would never uh, report to a newspaper or tell anyone about it after they ran away. I I, I don't know. It's it's a bizarre it's a bizarre thing because it's was nine or ten kids. Well, whatever happened Mm -hmm. to the one that was overseas? Did they come back? Oh, yeah, he eventually came back. Uh, Not too much was... I didn't find anything about him and what he thought about this whole thing, but that must have been a startling thing to come back home to. Hmm. After after dealing with World War II, he comes back home. It's like, what do you mean the house burned down and five of my siblings are missing? Yeah, missing and or dead. Yeah, yeah, and it's like, wow, that's... 
I think I'm gonna. I think I'm gonna go back to the military. You know. You know. I. I think it doesn't seem. It seems that the obvious. The obvious like, answer-ish one, for me is that that when Santa Claus fell off the roof, that was obviously the little bomb thrown, mm -hmm. to the house on fire. Like I don't believe Jack and the whole faulty wiring thing. I got, oh, I got, I got that nothing was, on that one. Yeah, that was no pretty way. much disproven, and everybody's like, yeah, that did not happen. There is no evidence to suggest that it was faulty wiring at all. The The line was cut, and, you know, yeah. I think everybody is in agreement that that is not faulty wiring, and it was indeed uh, the pineapple bomb and the napalm that started that fire, yeah. I also really absolutely do not believe that um, that salesman guy has anything to do with it. Um, that's, like... Possible. He, his statement, if that is exactly the statement that Mr. George said, that's that's way too on the nose. That's like, <laughs> that's like George, because at that point, George is a fucking basket case. He's, that's true. He's insane. Because I, I think after the couple of years, he's because not only not only was he viewed as probably the weird conspiracy theorist by his peers because of his hatred for Mussolini, which is a fine thing because Mussolini yeah. wasn't a great guy, but yeah, he's nope. already seen as the conspiracy theorist at the time. And then like half of his kids go missing or die. And then, yeah. and now the, he's, you're going to tell me that after like all this pain and, and, and difficulty he's been going through. And then one of the people literally says, you will regret this and I, and your house will burn down and your kids will die. It's like, it's, it's pretty on it's, the nose. It's too on the nose. It sounds like something he would fucking make up, Maybe. Or, or he or he would misconstrued in order to try to get something like like mentally, you know. Mm -hmm. As far as we know, that's that's what the guy said. As far as we know, as far um, as we know, oh, via via George, Mister Crazy Man, <laughs> George in the family, and, and yeah. any reporting done on it. Yeah. Uh, oh, also, fun fact: almost forgot. Uh, they actually did track down who called them that night. I was, about to, I was about to say, I had a feeling that the people who called them may have been... Well, actually, no, you, t you tell me first. Well, as it turns out, it was just a coincidence, and that was literally just a wrong number. Are no you? conspiracy here. It was literally just a wrong number. They found the person, and she was just like, yeah, I called the wrong number. My bad. That's is it. that is that completely like are we taking their word their word as well i mean the, Be because uh, from, i can from what i can I very read, like police did an investigation and they could find nothing to suspect her other than yeah i called and it was the wrong number and i mean theoretically though if if the person that called wanted to do anything sus they actually wouldn't have called because like again you gotta remember like when that call happened it actually woke up jenny if the call doesn't happen she doesn't wake up and i mean maybe she doesn't even hear the uh the pineapple bomb rolling off of her roof uh i because... i disagree i can see them completely feeling out the situation oh really call, okay call, does a call Finds out if the, the people are there, the people that we really don't like. Ooh. Oh, they pick up the phone. Like, oh, sorry, wrong number. Hang up. They're there. Throw the fucking thing. Because the thing comes after the call, correct? Oh, that's true. It's about an hour after the call. I don't know why I didn't think about it like that. It, I mean, it, and then, like, and then in you my know, head, I was like, oh, she's awake. And like, if she's awake, she gets everybody out of the house. She's the reason everybody's safe. You're right, though. 
And and Ooh. you think I know like I think about like you go back to the lady and you're like, hey lady, did you call the did you accidentally call the wrong number? It's like we got this dude who's been on this for like five years now and he's still this and she's like, yeah, I called the wrong number. And then the police is like, okay, thank you because we're so That's sick of this fucking case. And then they leave. That's true. And in the forties, how would they check it? Did they would they really have been able to verify like? Ooh. They, they, they don't have call receipts. If she was in cahoots with someone yeah. throwing something, no one would fucking know. They probably, and they probably couldn't check to see if she made a call to someone else after she called the Sodder's house anyway. So she could have and been like, hey, yeah, drop the bomb. Ooh, I like that. Ooh, I'm, I like I'm, that. I'm, I'm, I'm just saying, if, I, if, if, you, if you wanted to kill some people or at least fuck their day up real bad, you'd call to make sure they were there before you bomb the thing. That's true. Ooh, I, ooh, I do like that. Um, now I don't know about the kid part of it. The, the kids disappearing, I got nothing. But I, mm-hmm. I fully, I fully do agree that their house being burned down was absolutely some kind of arson. There's, and I also oh, don't think their kids, their kids burned up whatsoever because there'd be totally more, more, more remains. But yeah, I, I think uh, I, don't, I don't know what's up with the kids. Yeah. Uh, and Sylvia, the youngest that was in the crib during the fire, she only recently passed away in 2021. Uh, but she kept the family Holy story shit. alive as, yeah, she, uh, her, I think she actually told some newspaper that her earliest memories were uh, of her father's bloody arm and him just screaming and screaming until he was hoarse trying to get those kids back. That's like her first memories of him. Um, and, uh, she would keep the story alive as best she could, and she would actually go on the internet and discuss the incident with cyber sleuths and try to come up with theories or just talk about her life because she had promised her parents that she wouldn't let the story die and that she would do everything she could to find closure, uh, for her lost siblings. Though... In recent times, most people, or a lot of people, I shouldn't say most people, because there are probably some people that still don't believe it, uh, a lot of people have come to believe that the most logical theory is probably the most likely theory as well, uh, that the Sodder children did indeed perish in the fire. Um, so, the issue with there being no remains, and the fire not burning long enough or hot enough, uh, some have explained it as, and I think some firefighters actually ex- tried to explain it like this, um, is that really the fire didn't just burn for 45 minutes. Rather, it burned all night long and through the morning. Because sure, the house collapsed and burned to the ground in 45 minutes, but when the fire brigade showed up the next morning, the remains were still so hot that they had to douse them to investigate. So the theory is that maybe you couldn't see actual fire, but the ashes and the remains were so hot that they actually did kind of burn away the bones. I don't know if that's true because I'm not a firefighter and I don't know if the ashes can actually get that hot, but that's the theory. No, I was never a firefighter either, but I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know if I believe that. Yep. That's, that's how some people have tried to explain there being uh, no remains. Uh, it's also believed that the initial search of the house uh, or the wreckage of the house was nowhere near long enough or thorough enough to actually find any conclusive evidence because that first search was only two hours. They only spent two hours combing through that stuff. By today's standards, 
that would have been a days-to-week-long process sifting through every little piece of debris. They only took two hours. Uh, It's also possible that the firefighters at that time didn't know what they were looking for. Uh, In this case, uh, if the bones had been burned to ash, theoretically, uh, I guess the next thing you look for, according to a firefighter uh, that was interviewed about this, uh, apparently the next thing you look for are pops of red from, grim as it sounds, any potential leftover entrails or organs from the body, which is kind of gross to think about. Uh, there's also the issue with how the actual scene, how the wreckage was handled by both local authorities and the Sodders, uh, because at no time did the police or the fire department tape off or restrict the area. Pretty much anyone could have come to the scene, tampered with any amount of evidence they wanted, and no one would have known. Someone could have theoretically come and taken the bones out of the wreckage if they wanted to, and nobody knows. Uh, There's also the issue of George Sodder not listening to the fire department. They specifically told him, leave the site alone for like, I don't know, a week, and then we'll come back, investigate further, and whatever. But, and I mean, you can't blame him for being so grief-stricken that he does this, but he doesn't listen to them. He bulldozes over the site with five feet of dirt and contaminates the whole scene and makes any evidence basically worthless. No, I'm just saying, I think he's a little crazy. Yeah, he's, I mean, understandably, but yeah... And um, personally, I'm starting to think that the children did tragically die in this house fire. Because, uh, like, I'm not entirely sure, like, with this mafia theory, right? Even if it was them, what did they gain by kidnapping five of the Sodders' children? It wasn't for a ransom or to get the Sodders to do something because they never got any demands. They never let the Sodders even know that the mafia had their children. They don't gain anything from it. It's just a lot of trouble for some petty revenge. I, I, was, make... about, I was about to say, I don't know. The, the Mafia do some pretty fucking terrible things for some very light reasonings. I get, Have we not ruled out the, the idea that the Mafia or whoever took the kids and just straight up fucking killed them? Oof. I hadn't like, thought about that. I hadn't thought about the Mafia just like kidnapping the kids and then just... <laughs> Yeah, and then like, like then the father will never know where they went, and he'll never get closure. And then he spends his last rest of his life as a crazy person. That's not out of the realm of the mafia's concepts. Ooh. Ooh. It's a little, it's a, it's a little, uh, it's a little moving parts. But just take the yeah. kids, just or just they killed the kids and then Ooh. took them away. Like, oh, that's possible. That's possible. Um, oh yeah, the fire fire was likely arson shy. Um, so, yeah, the, the fire. The fire definitely feels like arson. That that, that that's. Yeah. I'm I'm convinced on the arson part. Yeah, mm, yeah. I ooh, I hadn't thought about like the mafia just took the kids and just offed it. But like, why wouldn't you just let them perish in the fire? Well, I guess you you've got no way of knowing for sure, right? Because if if they do manage to get out, then you don't fuck up the solders for the rest of their time. And I mean, maybe I suppose so. Yeah, it's possible. Um. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of all we really know for sure, though, 
is that it was probably arson, um, and the kids were never found again, and their remains never found again. To this day, people are still speculating on what happened. What the hell does the back of that uh, photograph mean with that weird, freaky, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I oh. love my brother Frankie. Nobody knows. It's, no, no, no. That, 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 that photo is, is totally just a pretender. There's no way. That, that, is so? some, that is someone who absolutely wants to get a fucking, who wants to get their name in a news story or they want to, to fuck around with this and say they know something when they don't. I believe that the lady in the hotel with the five kids is doing the exact same thing. That's why she won't become a witness. There are, there are tons I, and tons and tons of people who want to be a part of this kind of news story thing and they always make up bullshit. That is very possible because uh, it, it did get a lot of national attention. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is entirely there, like, possible. Look, 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 I put all this stuff in a name generator and look what I did. I put a random bunch of random <laughs> letters and things on the back and they're all scrambling for it. They have no clue what's happening. Just, I, I don't I don't believe for a second. I, I, I think a lot of times you have to um, you can't remove the concept of of malice for some people who just really want to get because once it's once mm-hmm. it's national news, then you're opening yourself up to all kinds of people wanting to do shit. Yep, that's Pandora's box. You have clearly opened it. Um, but the picture, they they really believe that picture. Like like I said, they updated the billboard and put that new picture up. Yeah, they were yeah. sure that was Louis. They were sure. It could just be some fucking guy. He's just could like what be. the hell. I mean, if if you're someone that's just looking to be a fucker, and this thing has made national news, they've probably shown the billboard and the flyers all over the place. Wouldn't be too hard to find uh, an Italian guy in his 30s that sort of looked like what Louis would have looked like. So, could be, could just be some people fucking around, but nothing's ever been confirmed. Remains were never found. To their dying day, they didn't know what happened to their kids, for sure. So, well, there you go. That is right. the Sodder Children disappearance. I I am in full belief that there is no fucking way in hell that uh that this that the house burned down was an accident. Mm-hmm. And there's no mm-hmm. and I don't I don't believe almost anything that happened after five years. After five to ten years. Anything past that, I, I chalk up to just people excited to make a, make their name somewhere. Yep, people just trying to make a, a get their fifteen minutes of fame and just fuck around. Literally, just that. Yeah, I, I don't I don't believe I don't believe in it whatsoever. And with the knowledge of, of how they act, nah, 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 nah. It's crazy. My opinion on what happened to these kids has flip flopped so many times since like looking up stuff on this initially i was like oh shit this is the mafia like there's no fucking way that there are no remains uh left at all in this house there's no chance there's no the fucking mafia got him uh and then i saw reports from some firefighters that were like no it's totally possible and uh you know and then there's the expert that's like oh yeah this isn't this isn't what the mafia does and I was convinced that it was like, oh, okay, they died in the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then after today, you fill in my head with like, oh, yeah, the mafia could have just kidnapped them and killed them. I'm like, shit, maybe it was the mafia. So I, I don't, I, I, I don't mean, know what it, to it, think, man. <laughs> it's an option. It is a possibility. It is. Yeah. I don't know what the hell to think anymore. So uh, that's all I've got on the Sodder uh, children disappearance. So 
that's 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 the shtick. Hope you enjoyed. That's the shtick. That's the shtick. That's that's our detective ridiculous episode today. I guess, yeah. Detective ridiculous. I Det- I I'm telling you, uh, Jimmy Tortellini went out there. You know, <laughs> first chaplain of the Word Bears, Erebus came by, grabbed the kids, and was like, just like sacrificing them to a dark gods or some crap. Like I don't. The I I would I would be fucking shocked if any of these kids are alive. I know well right now they certainly aren't because was the youngest one just died in twenty twenty one. Yeah, and she was she was still a toddler in her crib when this happened. So yeah, even if they had survived somehow, they probably would have died of of just old age and natural causes by now. Yeah. Yeah. There's 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 no nah 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 nah. nah. I don't believe yeah. it. Also, I am uh, so proud of you. You made it this whole way. We had been talking about uh, Italian people, Italian families, the mafia, and only now are you bringing the word bears in. Round of applause for Bricky's restraint. We were at the end. I had some. We were at the end. Round of applause for Bricky's restraint. Really well done. I'm so proud of you. You were in the the middle of your story. (laughs) I was. I was. I was. But, uh, yeah. So, uh, I have no idea what we're doing next time. Shy will probably hit me uh, with, like, hey... Here are some topics. What do you want to do? And I'll pick one out of a hat, and we'll let you know when it happens next. Uh, yeah, is, Ricky, take, take is, us home, man. There is only one thing I can say about this entire situation that I feel perfectly comfortable stating. Mm-hmm. Nothing good ever happens in West Virginia. <laughs> <laughs>